But listen, today, <clears throat> the title is Preparing for Judgment, and it's the opening lesson from the book of 2 Thessalonians. And uh, as Wayne said when he read the uh, first section's uh, text, first couple of verses, uh, it's uh, on page 97. The introductory begins on page 98 of our books today. Now, did anybody get a book misplaced and didn't find it or needed, needed, need one today? Betty? There's probably a few, Betty. I don't know. Paul didn't spend a lot of time in Thessalonica as the introductory of their uh, lesson tells you here today, but he came to love those people very dearly. Uh, the work that he did among various churches in various places or congregations of the church in various places, uh, he became attached to the people. It's kind of like we are here uh, uh, as we love each other and we support each other during all the times that we uh, are together and uh, fellowship with one another. And so Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, as is written there in your introductory, declared this to them, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear us. So he cared about the brethren at Thessalonica. Uh, if you remember back when we studied the first letter, Paul wrote that letter as a result of the good report that uh, Timothy brought back uh, to him concerning the uh, way these people believed in Christ. And as a result of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the way they lived. And so Paul gave commendation in his first letter. He will also do the same in the second epistle that we start studying on today. Uh, the statement made there, the second letter was written after Paul heard about problems in the congregation. And that's a reference from the third chapter of this second epistle, verse 11. But when you read... Uh, the opening part of chapter 2 of this book, you'll also see that they were still struggling with some of the things they were struggling with in the first letter, and it had to do with the return of the Lord, the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Still a lot of misunderstanding about that. So really the purpose of the writing of this second epistle, and it's short, it's not very long at all, the overriding theme of this book is the return of the Lord. And we emphasized, I think, in previous uh, lessons, uh, Duane uh, last week and even some of our lessons prior to that when we were in 1 Thessalonians, that nobody knows the time 
of that coming, and the reference is given to us in Matthew 24, 36, that only the Father knows the time of the coming, the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A uh, commentator by the name of Weatherly, in page 99 there in your book, says that the book of 2 Thessalonians focuses on three key issues. And those are persecution, the return of the Lord, and the problem of idleness. That problem of idleness probably grew out of the misconception of the second coming. Back when we studied the first epistle now, they, they thought it was going to be an immediate return, something that would happen during their lifetime. If you read uh, secular historians about how people reacted and acted at this particular time in history, some quit everything they were doing, perched themselves on high points such as housetops or mountaintops, and looked toward the heavens, doing nothing but waiting and watching. So that's kind of where we come in with that idea of uh, idleness. Uh, they, were, they were waiting on the Lord to come. They thought it was going to happen just quickly. And, of course, that was a problem that Paul had to get straightened out in some of the things that he uh, writes here in this second letter. Uh, there's another quote from a, a commentator by the name of Williams here in your introduction. And he's talking about how relevant these two letters are to the churches today. Uh, that uh, in the times that we're studying here, the pagan world was pushing these Christians to conform to the standards that the world sets, rather than adhering and staying with the standard that God sets. And of course, uh, we have... Uh, the pressures of society today, don't we? Uh, pressuring us to do this, uh, to act this way, to believe this way. But yet, God's standard hasn't changed since the day Paul wrote this letter, has it? Uh, the will of God for us is that we do right. That we uh, be obedient to His will not conforming to the ways of society. In fact, uh, Paul in Romans 12 said, we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is the good and perfect will of God. So we can't be conformed to the world and the standards that the world sets, but we have to be conformers to the standard of God's word. So believers in Paul's day and in this day today were to be turned away from the sins of the world. And they and we are to live holy lives as we await the coming of the Lord. Uh, we don't quit anything. Uh, we go on with making provisions for life, physically, and we go on 
to make provisions for life spiritually. We don't sit down and quit. We don't sit down and wait. But we do what we normally do in anticipation of the Lord's coming. So holy lives cause us to be ready for the time the Lord will return again. And I think that'll be a point that Paul is trying to to get out and emphasize during the writing of this letter. During the time of their wait, though, things weren't going to be easy. They would be persecuted. Christians have always been persecuted, right? Why? Because we do not do what? We do not conform to the standards of the world. Now, if we did everything like the world does it, and we delved into the deepest hole of sin, we'd probably be accepted by most everybody, wouldn't we? But we can't do that as God's people. That's what separates us. And Paul, uh, in his writing, said, uh, you know, we're to come out and to be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. So we're to be a separate people. Uh, we're to be a peculiar people. Now that don't mean we're to be odd and strange and weird, you know. That means that we're to be a people set aside for the express purpose of serving God. That's our goal. Uh, to be a servant of the Lord. But during this period of waiting for the coming of the Lord, these people were going to be persecuted. And as verse 5 pointed out there in your introduction, the suffering they endured was evident of the righteous judgment of God. Those that persecuted them would get what was coming to them later, right? God's judgment is not always immediate. You can go back in the Old Testament and see that. You know, Jezebel, it was told her what was going to happen to her, wasn't it? But it took some time for that to eventually come to happen. And so it is today that you and I can be assured that those who persecute us as Christians will eventually pay the price for that. And if we endear the suffering and we persevere, we hold on, then we're going to be at rest. We're going to be at peace. And we're going to be, when the Lord returns, glorifying Him and be glorified ourselves with that heavenly home. So their persecutors would eventually be punished. They would eventually be rewarded when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 7 and 8. And that's on the bottom of page 99 in your workbook. 
And then he says the passage ends with Paul asking God for them to be counted worthy of this calling in verse 11. And then there's a Revelation uh, 5, 1 uh, that's quoted on page 100. He will count them worthy because of the Lamb who was worthy in his mission. How are we called to the Lord? By the gospel of Christ, aren't we? I had a first cousin who was called out behind the barn. Now, this is a true story. Hit by a miraculous force of some sort and called to be whatever it was <laughs> she was or he was. God doesn't call us in a mysterious way, does he? I never have been hit in the head with something that I thought was sent from God. Do you? Or kicked in the shin. Uh, we had a fellow not many years ago that, that cleaned uh, our carpet down at the old funeral home. And he came in one day to clean our carpet and his eye was black and blue from the top of his hairline all the way down below his jaw here. And I asked him, I said, Jeff, I said, what happened to you? And he said, I was at church and the Holy Spirit hit me and knocked me down and I hit the pew and caused all of this. And I just thought, well... I don't believe I want that kind of Holy Spirit to hold of me. Uh, you know, God doesn't act in that kind of way. His Spirit doesn't act in that kind of way. We're called by the Spirit-revealed Word that's contained in the pages of what we call the Bible. God calls us through the Gospel. The message is out there that Jesus Christ lived and set for us the perfect example and he died on the cross and shed his blood there that we could be forgiven and there are things we have to do in order to appropriate that blood of Christ and namely that's to be baptized for the remission of our sins. That's how God calls us and nothing we will ever do will make us worthy of citizenship in heaven. Because we're imperfect human beings. And we cannot work out our salvation by ourselves, right? We're told to work out our own salvation. But in doing so, we still need the mercy and the grace of God, don't we? So it's not anything that, that we're going to do ever, no matter how much we fill the bucket up with good, that's going to make us worthy of heaven. But, on the other hand, too, there are things you and I must do as Christians in the work of the Lord and with our obedience to his will we can be made worthy by the sacrifice 
of Jesus Christ, our, our, our Savior. That's exactly right. That's what, what we have to do for ourselves. That's exactly right. So he will count them worthy because of the Lamb who was worthy in his mission. Because of what Christ has done. All right, the first uh, section is the greeting. Wayne read the opening two verses there. Begins almost the same way that the first letter do, uh, did. There's only one difference, and uh, included, as your book suggests there, in that opening verse, before Father, the word our is inserted. Our Father. And then, of course, verse 2 talks about peace. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1. Paul is very careful in his writings, in fact, in most all of his books, that he establishes the things that he's going to say is said by God's authority, right? In other words, Paul didn't write Paul's opinions. Paul penned what was revealed to him by the Spirit of God. So when he wrote, they could bank on what was written as what God intended to be said. And so... He recognizes the authority of the Father in his writings. It's clear, I think, in the things that uh, we're studying here today, that God's final revelation, complete revelation, is in and through Jesus Christ only. Now we've had individuals who claim they have received a revelation from God and they've included, you know, it in their writings like, you know, the Mormons with Joseph Smith and others. God revealed this to me. I'm revealing it to you and you are to accept it. Well, where did it come from? Did it come from God? Jude 3 says not. The faith that was once and for all time delivered to the saints. Jude writes. He's talking about the gospel of Christ. So after the last book of this New Testament that we call part of the Bible was completed, that revelation <clears throat> was no longer needed. Yeah, they had the power of the Spirit of God that moved them to write, to correct. Mm -hmm. 
exactly right. The word was confirmed by the signs and wonders that they performed. Now, once that word was confirmed, the Holy Spirit, well, we could get on a, a big, long discussion. I don't want to get into that, I guess. Spiritual gifts ceased once the apostles were all dead because they were the only individuals who had the power that was given to them of the Holy Spirit to lay hands and import, import, uh, impart power to other individuals. So when the apostles were gone, there was no other way by which that could be done. So therefore, the imparting of spiritual gifts died, right? And we had the complete word of God at that time too. So there was no further need of confirmation because the confirmation was written in the word of God. And as Seth said, these men who were the apostles of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ were empowered to confirm what they taught, what they had received from God. They had the power to confirm that that was truth by the wonders and the signs that they, that they possessed. Well, we got a little off of the way there, but we'll get back on maybe. Uh, if, there are several uh, scriptures given to you at the top of page 101 that uh, emphasizes the emphasis that Paul places in his writings upon grace and peace uh, to be extended to those that were Christians by each other. And he says Paul ended the epistle by praying for peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Verse 16 of the last chapter of this book. Uh, you're given some references here like uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, peace from their enemies. Uh, chapter 2 through uh, 3, 5, uh, peace of mind. Uh, you can imagine uh, maybe the agony that these people had in their minds because of all that was going through it in regard to the second coming and the misinterpretation of things that were going to happen at that coming. So their minds were all stirred up. Paul wanted to put that at ease. Uh, as Christian men and women who submit to the will of God and live to the best of our knowledge to what God commands of us, we ought to have peace of mind, ought we? Now I realize that we, we've got problems of our own sometimes, and sometimes we get stirred up and, and, and we wonder, you know, how am I going to deal with this? What's going to be the outcome of this? And all of us have that. But we're concerned about those things, but we don't let those things uh, overcome us to the point that that's all we think about. Our concentration ought to be upon the salvation that's in Christ and the promise of better things when all of our problems are over. And you know our problems won't ever be over 
until we die, will we? And hopefully, hopefully we've done the right thing and lived the right way that when we die, we don't have any problems. We'll have a big problem if we had not lived right, won't we? Yeah, that's right. We'll have eternal problems, and that's what he's going to talk about here uh, as we go on. Well, our time's getting away here. Second section, commendations. You can read verses 3 to 5 of the text there. Uh, the second letter of Thessalonians begins just like the first did. Paul opened that first uh, chapter with prayer. He's opening up the first chapter of the second book in the same manner with a compliment to them. He's grateful for their uh, faith. He's uh, grateful for the way that they have grown, for the love that they've had for uh, each other. And if I were writing a letter to you today, I could write the same thing and compliment you for your faith and love that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ and toward others. And Paul wanted them to know that regardless of where he was at, when this letter was written, he's probably at Corinth uh, in Greece, but he wanted that congregation in Thessalonica to know that he used them as models for good. Uh, there were good things going on in the church at Thessalonica, and he told other congregations about that to encourage them and to uplift them. And we could do the same thing here uh, here today, we've got, we've got some good things going on here. And I hope that we can serve as a model and an encouragement to other congregations of the Lord's uh, people, as well as to those who aren't even members of the church. That they can recognize that what we're doing is good, you know, and cause them to think about the state that they're living in. Uh... He says here in the middle of the page uh, 102 that the spiritual growth of the Thessalonians was impressive, especially since they were enduring persecutions. And he gives you a reference there the, of verse 4. In particular, he told others about their patience and their faith. And if you'll notice uh, patience, he says there in the... Uh, English Standard Version of the Bible is translated steadfastness. And in the New International Version, it's, uh, it's translated perseverance. So the idea of steadfastness and, and perseverance, as Wayne uh, Hicks taught us up at the retreat on Saturday evening, uh, we persevere, we do what? We don't quit, right? It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter how many people stand against us. We don't quit. We keep going. The fact is, all of us suffer persecution some way. Now, we may not be beaten, and we may not stand in threat of our lives being taken from us, but sometimes we are ridiculed, aren't we? Uh, we're talked about because we're trying to serve the Lord and do what's right, but we have to be patient. We have to keep on. Our faith needs to remain strong. According to Paul, the persecution of Christians' face was manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, according to verse 5. 
If you look down at the bottom of the page there, there's a, the reference that's given to you from the Sermon on the Mount and the words of Jesus as he uh, gave the beatitude, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Persecution's not new. It's been around for a long, long time. It was around in the days of the Old Testament people. But love and faith ensured that these Thessalonian Christians, that they were worthy of the kingdom of God. The way in which they faced persecution. If you give up and run, that don't say too much, does it? But if you stick it out, if you stand up for what you believe, you know, we, uh, we're, we're getting to a point right here in our America today that we as Christian men and women, we need to stand up for what we believe. Uh, we need to face up to some of the realities that's being proposed by people in high places of authority. You know, we all maybe like money, uh, but it seems like uh, money's flowing pretty freely today. And one of these days, somebody's going to pay for that. I may die before it comes around, and, and you may too, but our children or grandchildren, they're going to suffer as a result of it, I'm afraid. And there's a lot of liberal agendas out there today that promote sin. Now, you can call it whatever you want to, but homosexuality is a sin. That's what the Bible says about it. And you get these guys in these political offices that, Oh, you know, we've got to support this because they're part of our community. Well, we love them as people. But we cannot back that sinful way of living. That's just not what God says. Uh, so we need to stand up against sin and be counted. We're either for it or against it, right? <laughs> That's what they said about the preacher one time. Somebody asked him, asked one what he preached on. He said, well, he preached on sin. And the other guy said, well, was he for it or against it? <laughs> well, we better stand where the Lord would want us to stand. And that's against it. Trouble, the last section here. You know, God does not take pleasure in punishing anyone. Even those that that don't know him or his son, Jesus Christ. But God does have a standard of right and wrong. And God's punishment for sin is the consequence of doing what's wrong in God's sight. It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to you and to give you who are troubled rest 
with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, it's very evident from what Paul says in these verses here that those that troubled Christians were wrong. Those that persecuted Christians were wrong. And you can be assured, Paul says, that vengeance is going to be taken on those who've done Christians wrong and have failed to obey God. And that's going to happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with these mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a discussion there of those that do not know God and, and those that do not obey the gospel. You can look at that. But failure to obey the gospel is a failure to accept life that can be eternal. And if you'll notice Mark 16, 15, 16 is referenced there. And that's what we call the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Right? Every creature. All men. Don't matter about color. Don't matter about uh, uh, money. It don't matter about the status you have in the world you live in, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you live in, what nation you live in, which way you vote. Although which way we vote sometimes may... We may need to repent and turn the other way. You know. Don't matter about those things. The gospels be preached to everybody. And one that fails to obey it is going to fail to receive eternal life. The punishment he talks about here, verse 9, is described as everlasting. That's never ending. Separation from the Lord and from the glory of his power. Well, there's a lot we ought to say about that, but you know it's almost ten minutes till ten. I guess we have to close. Read the two applications. Not if, but when. Christians will be persecuted. But Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we cannot stress enough the absolute necessity of obedience to the gospel of Christ if we want to live eternally. We just can't get to heaven without obedience to the will of God. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and for every blessing of life. Thank you for allowing us to come together and open your word and to study lessons from it. And we pray, Father, that as we contemplate the things that Paul has written in this second Thessalonian letter, that we'll come to the understanding of our need to submit to your will, to be obedient to your will, and to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Father, we fail often. We ask you to forgive us. 
We ask you to watch over us and to keep us safe and bless us in this hour of worship that is to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.